dad. But the enemy didn't triumph. Somebody that knows you should be gone right now. But the enemy lost the battle. Throw your hands in the air and give God a praise in this place. Hallelujah. Whoa. Devil thought he had me. He thought that I. Come on, somebody. Help me out, music. Where you at?
family. If the devil would have had his way, I could have been an absentee father like everybody else. But I got two words for the enemy. But God, I dare you to reach back and remember what God did for you. Reach back and remember where God brought you from. Hey, let everything that It's almost like you shout every time you come to church. Every time. It's almost like you got to praise him every time. you. Every time. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, one more time you ought to open your mouth and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands and give God the praise tonight. Wow! My God! Hey! Forget not all of his benefits. 
forget not all of his benefits hallelujah 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 some of y'all used to dance in huckabuck when you had to ride a hoopty to church and put oil in it three times a week now you got blessed with a brand new set of wheels and you sitting on your pew like you such and much Come on, somebody. Sister girl, you used to shout and give God the praise when you were wearing hand-me-downs and somebody else's borrowed clothes. But now God blessed you and you got that Dillard stuff on you and you got that Macy stuff on and you're going to come into the house of God and stand there like you cute. You better give God the praise. You better give God the Come on, come on, hey, come on, give him a praise, yes, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, tell you something tonight baby God never changes I said God never changes he's not like fickle people who will shift on you and change on you and so because he never changes God is good all the time and if he's good enough for me to praise him last week, then he's good enough for me to praise him uh, this week. Come on. Some of us have gotten used to when you're having a good day, you give him high praise. But when you're having a tough day, you just give him a little Baptist hand, a little bobblehead. But I came to tell you, your God is better than that. My praise isn't based off the kind of day I'm having. Uh, my worship isn't based uh, on my struggles or lack of struggles. Uh, my God, my worship uh, is because he's worthy. Uh, and if I'm going to give him praise, uh, I'm going to give him my best praise. I said if I'm going to praise him, uh, I'm going to give him my best praise. Come on, don't play with it tonight. Don't give him a little bit. You got to give him everything. Clap your hands one more time in this sanctuary tonight.
Hallelujah. Grab your Bibles tonight. I want to get to the word of the Lord in this house. While you're grabbing your Bibles, we are so excited to have our guests with us tonight. Would you help me one more time? Put your hands together, Rock Church. Come on, I need to borrow your hands and your voice. Help me welcome all of our guests into the house of the Lord tonight. Come on, I need everybody's help. Uh, help me make all of our guests welcome in the building tonight. Amen. Amen. This morning, God moved in such a powerful, powerful way in this sanctuary. And uh, when the Holy Ghost was finished, we baptized two more people in Jesus' name. Amen. Came out of the water speaking in tongues as God filled them uh, with the Holy Ghost. We ought to give God a praise one more time uh, for revival in this house tonight. Amen. I mentioned this morning that this week I was privileged to preach a conference in California. And while I was there, Pastor Nathan Holmes uh, delivered a powerful word from God. And the title of his sermon was The Sleepy Church. And as he began to preach that message, I felt like God began to speak to me concerning this house. And there are two things that God gave to me. One of them is a message, a word from God, which I'm going to attempt to preach tonight. The other one was simply a portion of scripture and an admonition. I don't know if or how they even go together, so I'm not going to try to put them together. But I'm going to obey God tonight. And I want to give you the word of the Lord from his word tonight that he gave me for some of us in this house tonight. Amen. Uh, it's our custom to stand for the reading of the word in this place tonight. If you are not incapacitated or disabled and you are able-bodied, we, we would ask you to join us as we stand in honor of the presentation and the entrance of God's word into his house. Amen. If you were in the presence of dignitaries, they would demand that you rise and stand at attention for the entrance of a potentate or a, or a uh, governmental figurehead. I believe our God and his word is worthy of even more than that tonight. Amen. The first thing that God spoke to me was in the book of Revelation chapter number 2. I'm going to give you this word and then I will transition into the message that I feel like God has for us tonight. Revelation chapter 2, God is addressing the seven churches of Asia and he opens up in chapter 2 and says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the angel of the church was the pastor of the church. This is a word for a congregation. And here is the word of God to the church of Ephesus. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy 
labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. He is commending them for their spiritual perspicuity, their willingness to challenge things that are not sacred and spiritual and true. He is commending them at their effort and their labor and the fact that they are not giving up and not fainting. But verse number four, he says, nevertheless. That word nevertheless is an indicator that oftentimes two dynamics that seem to oppose each other exist at the same time. While I recognize all of these things going on that are a credit and a testimony to you, he said, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. God said, I got a problem because you've got so wrapped up in the stuff that you've walked away for the reason behind all of it. You've left your first love. When you first got into church, there were some commitments that you held that you're not holding on to anymore. When you first started living for God, there were some promises and commitments to God you made that you've let fall by the wayside. When you first started living for God, there was a passion about your servitude to my kingdom that you've let die out. You have left your first love. And he begins to admonish the church at Ephesus and he says, remember therefore. Woo. You know why he has to say remember? Because they have forgotten some things. He said, you forgot what I've done for you. You have forgotten how far that I brought you. You forgot about the lonely nights, the sleepless nights, and the pain and the challenges and all of somewhere you have grown forgetful about all of the things that caused you to fall in love with me in the first place. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. Turn around and do the first works. He said, I want you to stop in your tracks and I want you to get back to the way you used to love me.
I'm talking to some people in this building tonight. Oh, you're here tonight. Your, your name is checked the box with the attendance records. And you, you may have even sang in the choir tonight. And you, you're here and you're present and accounted for. Uh, but God is saying, I see your works. Uh, I see all the stuff you're doing. Uh, but there's something that you've walked away from. Uh, there's a fervency and a commitment uh, to my kingdom uh, that isn't there any longer. God said, you got to turn around and you've got to get back to the first love. You've got to get back to the place that you have fallen away from. Come on, somebody in the building. He said, repent and do the first works or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou repent. God's calling us to a place of repentance right now. God's saying, I'm calling some of us to turn around and get back to the heart of living for God. Come on, all over this house, somebody ought to lift your hands. Come on, I, I'm just giving you the word from God tonight out of this chapter of the Bible. Come on, somebody in the building. Uh, what I am telling you right now uh, is what God has already been dealing with you about. What I am speaking to you right now uh, is what God has already been talking to you about. Uh, it's time to get back uh, to your first love. Come on. It's time to get back to what's important. Uh, it's time to get back to the primary thing uh, in your walk with God. Come on, Somebody lift your hands and lift your voice in this place tonight. Woo! In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Let that word fall on fertile soil tonight. Let that word fall on fertile soil tonight. Oh, ikalabashandayalabokosataya. In the name of Jesus, 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 hallelujah. Amen. The book of Judges chapter 16, book of Judges chapter 16 is where I want to invite you to read the word of the Lord with me tonight. Amen. As I endeavor to follow after the Holy Ghost. Judges chapter number 16, I want to read one verse of scripture, and then I'm going to move to another portion of this chapter. Verse number 6, Judges chapter 16 says, And Delilah said unto Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, Wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. Young man, if a young lady ever asks you that question, run. Verse 16. And it came to pass... When she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart 
and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. Listen to verse 19. And she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. And for a few moments tonight, I simply want to preach from this thought. Beware of tired. Beware of tired. Would you put your Bibles down and clap your hands one more time unto the Lord in this sanctuary tonight. Come on, let's give God a praise all over this house tonight. In Jesus' name, you can be seated tonight. There are a few things that we can learn about Samson in the word of the Lord. A few things that perhaps identify him as a prominent biblical character. Samson, of course, is known as the 12th judge of Israel. He is also the son of Manoah. And according to the consecration of his parents at his birth and their vow unto God, he was also a Nazarite. It would be an understatement tonight to say that we most notably know him as a mighty man. Samson, when I just give the name, evokes a word picture perhaps of a man full of strength and full of power. But can I submit to you tonight that I do not believe Samson was necessarily a man of great stature. I do not believe that he was a man that you would look at and that by his physical appearance you would estimate him as a man full of strength. 
The Bible is very careful uh, to show unto us uh, that his strength uh, was not physical, uh, but that his strength came uh, when the Spirit of the Lord uh, came uh, upon Samson. The Bible is clear to let us know that because of Samson's vow unto God, that God would use him at particular times, that God's spirit would come upon Samson and cause him to vanquish the enemy and cause him to run roughshod over the oppressors of the children of Israel. And so we can learn a valuable lesson that there is power from God in our life when we keep the vows uh, that we make before God. Uh, when we keep the promises uh, and the commitments that we make before God, uh, there is power uh, in our walk with him. Uh, God's hand uh, will rest upon us. Uh, God can use us uh, and it's not by might uh, and it's not by power, uh, but it's by uh, his spirit uh, saith the Lord. Uh, I just need a few people to test in the building uh, that it's by the power of God uh, that I'm able to be victorious. Uh, that it's by the strength uh, of the Holy Ghost uh, that I can be strong uh, and do exploits. Uh, they that know their God uh, shall be strong uh, and shall do uh, exploits. He was a powerful man with a powerful anointing from God. But Samson had one particular proclivity. Samson had an affinity for Philistine women. If you study your Bible, you'll find that Samson's parents lived in a place called Zorah. Zora was close to the border of the Philistine nation. The Philistines were mortal enemies of God's people. It was in their heart and their desire to destroy God's people. And I don't know about you, but if I knew where the enemy lived... And I knew where the enemy resided. I would not place my family and my home and my house near the border of where the enemy is at. Could I just preach to us tonight? If I knew that there was a devil that wanted to destroy my family. If I knew that there was an enemy of my soul that was going to and fro seeking whom he may devour. If I was convinced and knew that there was an enemy that if he could would destroy my family and my children I would not live my life near the borders of the habitat of the enemy. 
I would not live my life and keep my family camped out next to the borders of where the enemy was. As a matter of fact, I'd find a place as far away from the border as I could. I would find a place as far from the enemy as I could keep my family. But there are some parents who lack the personal and spiritual perspicuity to understand that there is a risk and a danger of living near the borders of the enemy. This is why I don't ever want it to be the mentality of my household uh, that we are going to see how far uh, close to the line we can live uh, for God uh, without technically uh, being in the world. Uh, How far can we push uh, our lifestyle uh, before we are technically uh, living in the world? Uh, I wonder what kind of music uh, we can listen to uh, and still call it uh, Christian music uh, before we just finally cross on over uh, into I'm preaching tonight uh, I wonder uh, how close to Hollywood uh, that we can bring the family uh, without breaking the lines uh, because we have a lack uh, of the revelation of the precept uh, and so I wonder how uh, I wonder how far uh, we can push the limits uh, in our clothing in our lifestyle uh, I know this is where uh, the line is drawn but uh, I wonder how close uh, We can live. There are some people that have made it a culture in their life, in their homes, that we are going to live by the bare minimum requirements of what the kingdom of God has. And so they have positioned their family at the border of the Philistines. And the problem is when you live that close, You give your children access to what you won't touch. I'm preaching real good tonight. And here's what happens. Samson's parents were able to survive living that close. But their son never made it. They were able to retain their integrity But their son, because of his vulnerability and age, was exposed. You see, you think because you have the wherewithal to stand up against something that your children by default are going to make it through. But I'm telling you, parents, when you live your life on the edge of the world, you are giving your your children access to things. There is exposure to things that you ought to be protecting them from, that you ought to be placing them as far away from it as you possibly can. And I came to tell some parents, time will tell you. Uh, oh, you understand that his vow, his Nazarite vow wasn't between him and God. It was between his parents and God. And so he lived according to the promise and the vows 
that his parents had for a certain amount of time. And there's a window that your children will live like they're supposed to because they're in your home, they're in your house, and they're underneath your rules. But there's going to come a day that what they have been exposed to, that what you have allowed them to be connected to is going to show its influence in their life. And there came a point in time that he disregarded the rules and the regulations that mom and dad said before him. You read it when you get home. He began to look at those Philistine young ladies. How did he meet them? Because the distance from his front door to the border wasn't very far. It was convenient. It was convenient for Samson. Matter of fact, his front door may have been closer to the Philistine camp than it was to the opening of the tabernacle. And so he was interacting. He was keeping company. He made the wrong circle of friends because mom and dad had a poor decision about where they raised their children. And so, like any young man, he reaches an age that he starts looking at young ladies. And of course, he's been allowed to live in this place for so long that his eye is captivated by a Philistine young lady. And when he comes to his parents, you can see the dichotomy of the situation. Mom and dad tell him, son, isn't there a lady amongst our own people that you find attractive? Isn't there a young lady in the church somewhere that's consecrated to God that, that you can pray about. You want to get involved uh, with the Philistine uh, young lady, uh, but mom and dad uh, had lived according to lines uh, for so long uh, that their children had no revelation uh, of the precept. I'm going back to Tuesday night. Uh, they lived based on rules uh, and lines uh, for so long. Uh, we can live here, uh, but we just can't cross uh, that line. Uh, instead of teaching uh, their children Children, uh, the precept, uh, you're a child of God. Uh, there's an anointing on you. Uh, God wants to use you. Uh, we don't involve ourselves uh, with the Philistines uh, because they're out to destroy you. So, Samson pushes past the admonition of his parents. Bring her to me. And so he gets himself involved with a young lady by the name of Delilah. And the Bible tells us that he falls in love with her, or so he thinks. Because love is first defined by God. I'm gonna stop here and preach for a moment. There are too many things we call love that are lust. Oh, I can't live without her. Oh, I got to have him. Oh, I just can't. Love is patient. Impatience is the first sign to you uh, that it's not love. Uh, it's your own will that's, come on, I need an amen. Am I right, Sister Cammie? Uh, when impatience is ruling you, uh, baby, that ought to be the first red sign to you. Uh, you're not in love. Uh, you're in lust. The 
There's too many things we misdefine as love that are not love. You need to, read, you need to let God redefine what love is in your life. I don't have time to preach all of that. So he connects with Delilah. And it's interesting that when you study the etymology of her name, the name Delilah comes from the original word Delilah, which means to slacken or to decay, to cause something to fall apart through the process of decaying. And he fell in what he thought was in love with something that was killing him from the inside out. Could I preach it this way? It was a fatal attraction. He was embracing something and he was blinded to the fact that what he thought he was in love with had motives to kill him. Had motive. I don't care what she says. You better look past the words into the intention of the heart. I don't care what he says. You better look past the flattering words and get a hold of God and get some discernment. Come on, son. Uh, do you think she was ever interested in him? Uh, read your Bible. Uh, she never was interested in him. Uh, she had an ulterior motive. Uh, but when you've lived according to lines uh, instead of precepts, uh, you become easily deceived uh, because you look at everything uh, as a rule and a regulation uh, instead of a revelation. Her name means, and that she did. She began to attack his morals. She began to steadily go to work at his convictions. She began to go to work every day saying little things, pulling him further and further from his commitments, pulling him further and further from what he knew was right. I don't have time to preach it all. You can read it when you get home. But they started playing games. And he started playing games with his conviction. Tell me, Samson, wherein thy great strength lieth. And he started playing games. Let me see how far I can go with her without compromising my moral compass. Let me see how far I can take this interaction uh, before it absolutely swallows uh, me whole. Uh, and he begins going a little bit further uh, and a little bit further. Uh, and the Bible uh, says it like this. Uh, it says uh, that she pressed uh, him uh, daily uh, with her words uh, until uh, he uh, was vexed every day. She worked on him. Every day she pressed him with her words until he was vexed. The Holman Christian Study Bible says that she pressed him daily until she wore him out. She finally wore him out. Can I, can I just take a little sidestep here? Can I, can I just take a little side trail tonight and tell somebody that not every battle is worth fighting? Could I just preach to you for a moment uh, that you've got to get some wisdom in your life uh, to pick and choose uh, which battles uh, are the right battles uh, to fight? Uh, 
uh, come on, you need to get a revelation uh, that not every hill uh, is worth dying on. Uh, you need to understand that there are some battles uh, that are designed uh, just to wear uh, you uh, out. Come on, somebody. Bible says that when she saw that he told her all of his heart. You see, what happened is he did all right for a while putting up the fight, but she eventually wore him out. And what he originally said he would never do, he finally did. Because when the enemy can wear you out, He'll wear down your resolve. He'll wear down that tenacity to fight that you have. And he'll work every day. If you're not wise, he'll have you fighting things. He'll have you in struggle with things. He'll have you wrestling with things that you should not even be involved with. And the whole point of the battle is to wear you out. Is to wear you down. It's kind of like parents with kids. I've watched kids that learn how to do it with their parents. Mom, can I? No. Hey, Mom, what? Can I? I said no. A little bit later, hey, Mom, what? Can I? No. Hey, Mom, no. Ma, no, no, no. And I've seen a kid press so far that they finally push the parent over the edge. Go ahead then. Uh-oh, it got quiet in here. I'm not fighting with you anymore. I'm tired of arguing with you. Go ahead. Just do it. That's what the enemy tries to do with you. He tries to wear you down until you start saying things like, I'm tired of fighting this. He'll wear you down uh, until you finally start speaking and saying, uh, I'm tired of the fight. I just can't keep fighting uh, like this. Uh, oh, whoa. Uh, I'm sounding the alarm to somebody in this place. Uh, you got to beware uh, of tired. Uh, when you find yourself uh, in that position, uh, you are more than likely uh, about to surrender uh, a miracle. Uh, you are more than likely uh, about to surrender uh, a position of God in your life. I'm just tired of dealing with this. I'm just tired of this. I'm just tired of that. I'm just weary when your life starts becoming full of the language of tired. You better recognize you're in a spiritual battle for your soul. Come on, I'm preaching really good to somebody in the building. You're not tired because the circumstances are too hard. You're not tired because somebody isn't treating you the way they're supposed to treat you. You're not tired. Come on, somebody. You're not tired because everything around you is all messed up. You're tired because the enemy has strategically positioned you into a place that you're fighting all the wrong battles and you got your priorities mixed up and you're in a place that he has finally vexed your spirit. 
Somebody say amen. And so, it's like Luke 18, when Jesus tells the story about the little widow woman that went to the judge and said, avenge me of my adversary. No. She kept showing up, avenge me of my adversary. No. And the Bible says that finally, he said, yet because... This widow woman troubleth me. I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The enemy understands the strategy of making you tired. And so she finally breaks him down to the place where he's so tired, tired of making excuses. Tired of coming up for reasons. Self-induced. Because he's living a life he shouldn't be living. But yet he's frustrated by the conditions of his situation. And when she finally wears him down, the Bible says that she, he tells her all of his heart. And the moment is so pronounced that the Bible says, she looks at him, I, I could just see it. Now this, is, this isn't written black and white, this is inferred in the text, okay? This is the FMV version, the Fort Myers version. She had wore him out, the Bible says vexed him. And I could just see him finally, <sighs> okay, here's the deal. When she got him there, the Bible says she made him to fall asleep on her lap. Because what happens is, the same one that wears you out is the same one that's going to come and offer the relief. And when the same one that's trying to wear you out is the same one offering you the relief. You're in a setup. This is why quitting feels so good. Because you've been in a fight. And anytime you're in a fight, you want to give up. Anytime you're in a struggle, See, I grew up fighting the legal way and the other way. And you'd be blown away how long three minutes can feel like when you're in a fight. Three minutes can feel like three hours. See, some of y'all don't have no clue. But when you're in a fight, you feel like giving up. Because it's taking so much energy and exertion and struggle and you're taking blows. But when you don't have a revelation of what you're fighting for, you become more prone to give up what you're fighting about. 
and it becomes worse when the enemy stages a fight that you're not even supposed to be involved in and he's doing it so he can wear you down and then when he gets you wore down he talks you into quitting and throwing up the throwing in the towel and giving up you see Samson's struggle wasn't with his vow his struggle was because of Delilah's words but she got him to be convinced that it was his vow I'm tired of defending this I'm tired of having having to fight for this consecration I'm tired of having to, to go to get on my knees and pray through in order to keep my commitments to God. And so the enemy gets her involved in a different fight that's designed to get him to lay his consecration down in the fight. I came to preach to somebody in the building when your vocabulary becomes filled with the language of weariness and tiredness. Beware of the enemy that that is trying to deceive you uh, and trying to steal uh, your anointing uh, and trying to steal uh, your walk with God uh, and trying to rob you uh, of the promises of God that are in your life. That's why backsliding can have a sense of euphoria that feels the same as victory. Because you've given up the struggle. And there is a temporary sense of relief that you mistake as victory in your life. But when you wake up from the coma that the enemy has put you in, the Bible said he wished not that the presence of the Lord had went from him. He woke up and said, oh, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm just going to shake it off. I'm going to do what I always do. I'm used to playing games with God. I'm used to playing games with my consecration. I'm used to taking things all the way to the edge. And every time I've crossed the line, I've been able to just walk back across. But this time, when he woke up, the Bible said he wished not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. I'm preaching tonight, beware of tired. It's in these moments of vulnerability and weariness that the enemy will catch you in a moment of weakness. When you're tired, your judgment becomes impaired. Is this all right tonight? I'm preaching and I'm teaching at the same time. Is this all right tonight? I said when you're tired, your judgment becomes impaired. You don't think like you should be thinking when you're tired. Somebody say amen. Your focus gets blurry when you're tired. Your vision becomes skewed when you get tired. There's times I've been so tired that I tried to read something. I said, my God, oh, where's my glasses? And they're on my head. Not even corrective lenses can fix my blurred vision when I get tired enough. 
And the enemy will wear you out to a point that you lose your vision, that you can't see clearly, that you start to misperceive. I'm going to preach right now. You start to see things the wrong way. You start to see sentences and you think they say one thing when they really don't say that kind of a thing. What's happening? You're in a place of weariness and your vision has become impaired. And so you start looking at things in the wrong kind of way. And all of a sudden, you think this is going on when it's really not what's happening in your life. You've got to beware of tired. One of the most dangerous people on the road is somebody who's sleep-deprived and tired. Did you know that every year there's over 100,000 automobile accidents a year because somebody was driving sleepy? Every year, there's over 1,500 fatalities because somebody was driving tired. There is a danger in trying to operate life under the influence of weariness. Your chances of running your life off the road become exponentially increased. You start swerving, you start making poor judgment calls. You start making decisions based off of stress in your life instead of the will of God. You start making decisions in your life based off of perceived feelings and things going on inside of you that are not even realities, but they are the web of weariness that you've got caught up in. In extreme cases of sleep deprivation, people become hallucinating. They start hallucinating. They start seeing things that aren't even there. And before you pull your psychology book out on me, I'm not trying to gaslight anybody tonight. But I'm telling you, you can get to a place of spiritual weariness that you start hallucinating. You start th seeing things that aren't even the way they are. You start perceiving things and getting messed up visions. You don't believe it? You just look at, the, uh, look at John the Baptist uh, when he finally was thrown into a prison. This is the man uh, who in just a few chapters earlier uh, stood at the River Jordan uh, saying, Behold, uh, the Lamb of God, uh, which cometh to take away uh, the sins uh, of the world. He's walking uh, in Revelation uh, and anointing and just a few chapters later after he's been beat and whipped and he's been fought against and he's tired he sends word and says I need you to ask Jesus a question is he even the one or do I look for another what would cause John the Baptist to now question his previous loyalties he was operating tired. He was under the influence of weariness. He was so beat down because of everything that was going on that it started causing him to see things in a blurred manner. What he once knew to be true was now shaken. I'm preaching to somebody in the building. You've got to beware of tired. One of the signs... And I want to talk about a few of them tonight. One of the signs of people oftentimes that are operating in this dimension of spiritual tiredness is they start dropping out of kingdom commitments. 
I'm just too tired. I wonder what it would be like if that's how God treated us. I'm tired of them. I wonder if, I wonder what would happen. Now, now this is just us tonight, all right? I wonder what would happen if I just decided to resign my responsibilities every time I got fed up with somebody. I wonder if I just, every time somebody said something negative about me, Brother Stewart, I just dwelled on it until I got so frustrated that I said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm doing nothing for good but that person for that person. I've prayed for them, I've fasted for their soul, I've counseled with them, I've encouraged them, I've spoken, and that's all they're gonna do is turn around and treat me that way. I'm tired of this. I'm tired. You know what, honey? Let's go. We're out of here. There's other churches would love to have a man like me in their church. There's other congregations would be blessed by a preacher as committed as I am. They don't appreciate me around here anyway. I could be doing so many other things for, for the kingdom of God if I wasn't tied down in this kind of nonsense. Oh, see, y'all are uncomfortable, but I'm just giving you a little reflection of some of the conversations I have to have sometimes. Why would you hold the rest of the kingdom of God to a standard that you're not willing to live yourself? Listen, when you've got a call and a mandate from God, there is no I'm tired of it anymore. I don't feel like being a pastor anymore. I don't feel like being a priest. You got the wrong idea of the call of God. If that's how you're going to treat the anointing of God that's in your life, you need a fresh revelation that fighting is part of the kingdom of God sometimes. And sometimes it's going to be tough. And sometimes it's going to be hard. But in those moments of weariness, you've got to have a resolve inside of you that says, I'm not backing up. I'm not throwing in the towel. I've been called by God. I know this is Sunday night and I'm supposed to be shouting you all. But I'm preaching about something that if you're not careful is going to take the shout out of you. I will preach for a moment to people who feel a call of God in your life, to ministry. Brother Stewart preached it a couple weeks ago. I suggest you go listen to it again. You want to run with the horses, but yet you can't keep up with the footmen. Some of you want to carry a mantle of ministry. But you can't even keep up with the small things that God has put in front of you. You want to carry greater responsibility with people. And you can't manage the relationship God's given you at the level you're on right now. Oh, I'm preaching really good tonight. Can I just preach to us for a moment? The mantle 
is not about you. The anointing is not about you and a position and an opportunity. It's about the kingdom of God. And if you ever try to pick up a mantle thinking that it's about you, you will destroy yourself and every person that is up under your mantle of leadership. The anointing is not about me. It's about people. You see, the kingdom of God is simple. I'm so far off of my notes tonight. The kingdom of God is simple. Jesus summed it up this easy. Love God and love people. You can't claim one and not have the other. Jesus said, how can you say you love God whom you don't see and you can't love your brother whom you do see? Oh, I'm preaching so good right now. Somebody ought to be running the aisles over this preaching. I'm going to buy my own CD tonight. The kingdom of God, hear me somebody, is about people. And until you get that revelation, I pray God never lets the danger of a mantle be in your hands. Because if you have a mantle before you have a revelation of love for people, uh, when the going gets tough and you get under pressure and people make you mad, you'll use your power uh, to defend yourself uh, and you'll use your authority uh, to get vengeance uh, and get back at people. You'll use your authority uh, to take advantage of and manipulate people. Uh, If you want God to anoint you uh, with a mantle of ministry, uh, you better first uh, get a revelation uh, of loving the people of God. I may never get back to the rest of this sermon tonight. Now I thank God for the leadership and I don't have anybody in mind. I'm just preaching under the unction of the Holy Ghost tonight. But I'm preaching to every one of you that currently carry a mantle in this house. God forbid that he finds you mistreating and abusing God's people. You do not have a position of authority to make you look good or to make you look important. There's no uglier spirit than the spirit of Diotrephes who always wanted to have preeminence in the house of God. Always uh, wanted to. He derived his sense of identity, Brother Stewart, uh, by people perceiving him as somebody special in the house. And I believe if you have a heart and you believe God's calling you and you believe God's anointed you, God is going to keep testing you. Over and over again. And you want to know what the hardest test is? It's going to be the people test. Because if you can run over people talking about you, you don't need to be carrying a mantle. If you can lose your patience and leave your post uh, over somebody making you mad, I'm sorry, uh, you don't need a mantle that's in your hand. 
if you get an attitude when God blesses other leaders and gives them favor and anointing, you don't need a mantle in your hand. So God's, God's going to fetter you. He's, he's, he's going to take you through a process. Even Jesus, before he got the resurrection power and the glory, was tested. Before you can handle great power, you've got to experience great sacrifice. Oh, Jesus. I want my sons to sit on your right hand and your left hand. You ought to hear them preach. Whew, they got it. Man, they got so much experience. You ought to give them a position in the kingdom of God. Man, they're so talented, so gifted. Man, I mean, they're just rotting away on the pew. You ought to give them a position and give them an opportunity. You know what Jesus said? He didn't say no. He said, okay. Can they drink of the same cup I'm drinking of? No problem. You want this anointing? Let me open the door of suffering. And let's see if you can make it through that room first. Oh, you want this microphone? Let me see how you can handle a whip on your back first. Oh, you want a position of leadership. Let's see how you do when people cheat on you. Let's see how you do when people gossip about you. See, y'all wouldn't want to follow nobody like that in the church. Because if that's how I live my life, I would have left... Maybe the third day I showed up in Fort Myers. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People say some stuff. People will do some stuff. People will tell you how much they love you, how much you mean to them, and be gone the next day. Oh, they'll lie to you, Brother Collins. People will shout your praises. Until God makes you correct them. Oh, it's quiet up in this place. And you find out that everything they said wasn't even true. They were posturing. Man, God's got me somewhere tonight. And, and here's the reality. Is there are people all over this house tonight. With powerful potential. There are people all across this building tonight that God said, I want to do something great in your life. But every time God tries to take you through that test, you fail the test. Every time God brings you to that place, you break in half. Every time God brings you to that place, you, you lose your, your victory. Listen, I'm, I'm going to teach you something. When God gives you anointing, he gives you influence. Automatic influence comes with God's anointing. And when you're, when you're at this level, the, the level of influence is like this. 
everything within a two-foot radius is up under your influence. But the higher God takes you, the radius of influence becomes wider and wider. And with every elevation, God takes risk with leaders. Because if you blow a tire at this level, you might rough up a couple of people. But the higher God elevates you, now if you blow a tire, the damage becomes greater. And the higher God takes you, the greater level of tolerance you have to have. The higher God takes you, the greater level of tolerance you have to have for pain. The greater level of anointing God places on you, the greater level of tolerance you have to have for people lying on you, for people turning their back on you, for people frustrating you, for people failing. Come on. And there's too many people uh, that want the position, uh, but they don't want to develop the tolerance in their life. See, what you think you want, if God gave it to you right now, would destroy you. Because you don't see behind the scene. Ma'am, you think that your sons are just going to take a seat on the right and left. But you have no idea the beating that they're going to have to endure if they're going to carry that mantle. You have no idea the spiritual and physical attacks that are going to be aimed at them for no other reason than they're God's person. And I'm not, I, I may not even get back to any of my notes tonight. But I'm preaching to some people, whether it's a mantle of anointing for ministry or it's a mantle of anointing for the next level of God in your life. God's taking you through a test. And some of us are coming back to the test telling God, I'm tired. God, use me. Okay, here we go. I'm tired. What? Hold on a second. God, use me. Okay, I want you to stay busy while I get this ready over here. Five minutes later. I'm tired. If you're tired there, what in the world do you want me to put you over here for? If you can't handle the commitment on the level you're at, why in the world would I put more on you? See, we've got a misperception, Brother Collins, that leadership, the qualification of leadership is perfection. And so if, when leaders don't perform to our perfection, we, we shoot arrows at them. But see, God picked one dude that cussed a bunch of people out and denied him three times. Oh yeah, he was on his leadership team. So don't come hollering at me about one of our leaders who got you upset because they didn't say something just the way. Come on, somebody. It's time for you to get in an altar and pray until God. Oh, Jesus, I don't like what Peter told me. He cussed me out. Well, you better get over it because he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. y'all don't like that you don't want Jesus to forgive Peter 
You don't want him to forgive Peter and give him another chance. Oh, yeah, the chances are only good when it's your second chance. Leaders don't deserve the same grace and mercy that you get to experience. Oh, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting right now. You're holding leaders to a level of responsibility that you don't even live your own self. You know what those leaders got to be ready? Peter, get ready. There's going to be some people that say, I don't like that Peter. How come you don't like him? I didn't like the way he talked to me one time. Peter, you better put on your big boy pants. Because you know what God's going to have you do? God's going to have you put your arms around them and love them. The same ones that just talked about you behind your back. And if you ain't ready to do that, Peter, step aside. I've got to use somebody else. Rock Church, God's taking us somewhere. And God's challenging some of us to a level of spiritual maturity. We got to quit fighting the wrong fights. We got, we got to quit involving ourselves in drama and nonsense that's causing us to get tired and weary and distracted while there's a work of God that needs to be accomplished. And God's looking at people that have talent and ability, and you even got a call, but you haven't yet made the commitment to the process so that God can use you the way that he wants to use you. One dude on his leadership team was making deals behind his back to sell him out. Oh, yeah, you ain't a real leader till you got somebody on your leadership team that's doing you dirty behind your back. And Jesus never went and told the other disciples, hey, that Judas, he's doing me dirty. He never went and besmirched him. Privately, he said, come on, come on, whatever you're doing, do it quickly. Get off the fence post, you're in or you're out. He knew what he was doing and still let him sit at the table of leadership. Some of you need to get a revelation in this church. Your bishop isn't as stupid as you think he is. I, I'm messing up a whole good sermon tonight. I'm sorry. I'm messing up a whole good sermon. I, I, maybe I'll try to fix it next time. I, you think that because I don't come out like a caveman and beat somebody over the head that I'm not aware. And if you're not careful, the devil will t talk you into getting frustrated with me. When I'm exercising the level of wisdom, grace, and understanding that God asks me to do in your life. Somewhere you got to get enough of a walk with God that you trust the man of God in your life. Come on, somebody. And if you're striving to be a leader... Don't expect people to follow you until you can follow somebody else like that. Be the person that you want to follow you.
Let's stand. I don't even know how I'm going to close this thing. God's challenging us tonight, Rock Church. Maybe Revelation chapter 2 has more to do with this than I thought it did. Some of us got to get back to the basics of development in our life and our walk with God. I want us to, I want us to just come all around this altar tonight. I, I feel like, God, this is a corporate message tonight. This is for individuals in this church, but this is God talking to this entire body tonight. I'm going to repeat something I just said, but I want you to think about it from a corporate standpoint. God has to be able to trust you before he can elevate you. God's got to know you're not going to buckle under the pressure at the next level. Because the consequences are too expensive. Rock Church, there is a level of harvest and anointing that not too many churches in the world get to experience that God is ready for us to step into. But before God's going to open that door all the way, there's people all across this building that God said, I need them to get all the way sold out. I need them to get so solid that they are a nail in a sure place that I can hang my glory on them. Come on. I need, to, I need them to be so dependable that I'll never have to think about a second. I'll never have to take a second thought whether or not they're going to be in place and doing what they're supposed to do. Regardless of the struggle, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's happening. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm trying to get away from some of this, but God's just got me right here like a... Like a good old hurricane stuck in Fort Myers. Like just won't go, won't leave. <laughs> Some of you expect your man of God. And rightfully so. To face up to the struggles and the, and the tough days. And to stand and be what God's called him to be every day. Answer the calls when they come. To the hospital when you have to be there. So on and so on and so on and so on. But for the revival God's bringing in this house, it's time for some people to start picking up that same level of commitment in your walk with God. Come on. It's time to beware of tired tonight. It's time for you to get a revelation in this house tonight and understand that, that, that there are ups and downs. There are mountains and there are valleys. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And there's going to be times I have a bad day. There's going to be times that I get tragic news. There's going to be times that my, my health is under attack. There's going to be times that my mind is under attack. There's going to be times when I've been betrayed. There's going to be times when I've been abandoned. There's going to be times when I've been lied on. But none of those things uh, are consequential uh, to my commitment uh, to the call of God that's on my life. Some of you talking about we're living in the last days. 
I'll never surrender. I'll never, I'll never bow my knees. I'll never recant my faith. They could chop my head off. Girl, what you talking about? You can't handle a sideways look without missing church. And you're going to stop somebody chopping your head off? Please. Please. Oh, I'm going to live for God no matter what comes when the child, oh, I'm sold out to Jesus. Let somebody do you wrong and see how, how, how long you carry a sour face. It's time for us to get ourselves together and say, all right, God, I'm going all the way. Come on, God, I'm going all the way. Come on, I'm going all the way, God. You can count on me. You can depend on me, God. Uh, whatever I'm supposed to be doing, God, you can count on me uh, to do it. Come on, I want us to lift our hands all over this sanctuary tonight. I want us to begin to pray. Come on, the Holy Ghost is talking to us in this place tonight. Come on, the Holy Ghost is dealing with us uh, in this house tonight. Uh, in the name of Jesus, come on, this is one of those nights uh, that it's not my neighbor, uh, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh God, uh, standing in the need of prayer tonight. Uh, God, I lift my hands. And God, I don't have my eyes on my neighbor tonight. I don't have my eyes on my brother and my sister. But God, I've got my eyes on you tonight. I've got to be what you've called me to be, Jesus. I've got to be everything, God, that you've asked me to be. Come on, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Come on, God's calling you tonight. How can you run? How can you keep up with the horseman if you can't handle the footman? Come on, in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody, it's time to recommit tonight. It's time to pray back through tonight. Come on, it's time to give ourselves back. To seeking the things of God diligently tonight. Come on. Come on, I'm talking to some young ladies in the building uh, that have a desire uh, to do something for God. You gotta commit to the process. Come on, I'm talking to some young men uh, that have a desire to be used by God. You gotta be faithful to the process. You gotta get committed uh, to the process of God. Come on. Come on. You are important to me. Come on. Come on. I got to learn to love people. I got to learn to be merciful. I got to learn to be patient. I've got to learn long suffering. I've got to learn how to be smitten on the cheek and to give them the other cheek. I've got to learn how to take the whip on my back, how to take the thorn on my head and lift my voice and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Come on, all over this building tonight. Come on, all over this building tonight.
Jesus said Jesus said except you pick up your cross and follow me you're not worthy Jesus carried listen Jesus carried the very instrument that they would hang him on later. And then when he hung on that cross, here was one of the temptations. Are you listening to me? As he's sitting there, bleeding to death, being spit on, naked in front of everybody, here was one of the temptations to abort the process. If you're really God, Take yourself down off the cross. You know what they were tempting him with? 
you don't have to really put up with this kind of a thing. If you're really called, you don't have to put up with this kind of torture. And until you can pass the test where you don't throw in the towel and get off the cross because of people, then you've not made it all the way. You know what Jesus said? I'm on a mission. I've been called to do this despite what anybody says to me. Despite what anybody's done to me, this is the call of God on my life. And as he hung there, one of the last things he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the standard of leadership that God set before us. you're going to carry the, the anointing that Jesus carried he said you got to carry the same cross that I carried come on somebody you see here's the deal God already had power and favor for Joseph he gave him a dream about it brother Donnelly God already had the plan but God also knew that his brothers were envious of him. And if God would have given Joseph the power right away and the elevation right away, when his brothers defuncted on him, he would have used his power to destroy his brother. And so you know what God had to do first? God had to let Joseph suffer. God said, I've got a mantle for you to carry, but Joseph, first you're going to experience suffering. First, I want you to know what it's like to be lied on. And I want you to know what it's like to be mistreated. And I want you to know what it's like to be abandoned. And I want you to know what it's like to be forgotten about. And I'm going to see how you react to that. Joseph, when I can see that you're able to push your way through all of that and retain your integrity, then you'll be ready for the level of elevation that I want to give to you. I'm going to leave you with this. None of this in my notes wasn't even in my thoughts. I'm flowing in the Holy Ghost tonight. One of the final tests of Joseph before God truly brought elevation to his life he was in a dungeon that he shouldn't have been in that he did not deserve with a reputation that he did not earn and some men came to him and said we got some dreams and we heard that you've got a gift to interpret dreams the last thing he wanted to do in that jail cell was use his gift to interpret a dream for somebody One of the last tests, Joseph, is I'm going to see how committed you are to the gift that I've given you, despite the conditions that you're living through. Because if you can abort the gift, then you're not worthy of carrying it. And so he didn't throw up his hands and say, oh, I quit interpreting dreams a long time ago. 
Everybody I ever interpreted a dream for, this is where it got me. This is where my commitment got me to people interpreting dreams. But he pushed all of that aside and he tapped into the, it was a real call of God in his life. And so it didn't matter what circumstances he was in, the call isn't about me, it's about people. He had a revelation. This mantle of anointing isn't about me and my experience and my little stuff. This is about God working through me. And so his final test was, can you let your gift flow in a dungeon? Because if you'll let it flow in the dungeon, then you're worthy for it to flow in the king's palace. And here's how tied together it was. If he would have aborted the gift in the dungeon, he would have never got the audience with the king. Because the man who connected him to the king was part of his gift flowing in the dungeon. And that opportunity would have died with him in the dungeon. I'm telling somebody, your opportunity for God's anointing in your life will die with you in that dungeon if you don't learn how to get you out of the way and let God be God in your life. One more time, I want us to lift our hands. Come on, one more time before we leave this sanctuary. Somebody needs to get this word down in your heart tonight. Come on, come on. Come on, even right now, you're having to push carnal thoughts out of your mind that want to tell you, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this feeling. I don't like, no, 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 come on. This is part of your, that fleshly man coming to a cross to be crucified. This is part of you putting your flesh on a cross and saying, God, less of me and more of you. Come on, in the name of Jesus, I need your glory. I want your glory. Less of me and more of you is what I need. Come on, before we leave this house, lift your hands, sing it. Show me your glory. Come on. Show me your power. Somebody feels that. Less of me and more of you is what I need. Come on. Show me your glory. I want your glory. Less of me and more of you is what I need. Cause so many times tried my way. I want your glory Less of me and more of you Is what I need Come on uh, Show me your glory Show me your power Show me your power 
Less of me, less of me, and more of you is what I need. Come on, somebody throw your hands in the air and tell them tonight. Because so many times I've tried my way, but all of the pain didn't go away. I realized that only you could give me the strength to make it through. Come on now. So many times I've tried. 